Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about the Indiana Writers Conference. This uh, on Sunday, the the seventy first annual Indiana wow. Writers Conference will kick off. It's a week long series of workshops and all kinds of writing, from literary fiction to the art of blogging. Uh, we have two guests in the studio and one guest on the telephone. Our guests in the studio are Bob Bledsoe, the director of the conference, and novelist Tony Ardizzoni. And uh, also joining us by phone is Patrick Rosal, who is a poet who's going to be involved in the conference as well. So thanks for being here. Really Thank you. Appreciate Very happy to be here. Appreciate, appreciate all three of you joining us today. For those of you uh, out there in the listening audience who want to call us and talk to these three fine writers, 812-855-0811 in the Bloomington area. Maybe they prefer writing, considering the... You could write email, <laughs> wfiu.org slash noon edition, if you want to send us email or comment, further comment on the program. And uh, the toll-free number, if you're outside of the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. Well, a writer's conference. And so we have to start... Uh, with Bob and and just sort of learn about the mission of the conference. Uh, I went back and looked at the website. It looked like 1941. Wow. Was the first 1939. Time. 1939. 1939. Wow. It was a um, one of Herman Wells's babies. Uh huh. He and uh, Cecilia Hendricks started it. Uh huh. And at the time there were it's the second oldest. At the time there were uh, there was bread loaf on the east coast and. In the and then Colorado University Writers Conference, mm-hmm. but this there was nothing sort of in between. And, mm-hmm. and so, it, so, what was Herman's <laughs> uh, idea for this conference? Well, I think you know, like like the rest of his um, you know, visionary plan. You know, he 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 saw a need mm-hmm. to sort of nurture nurture the literary arts Mm -hmm. Uh and set it up to... And bring that opportunity to the Midwest. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it starts Sunday, and I I know know, we'll be going over a lot of the different things that are going to be happening there. Tony Artizoni is one of the the speakers, one of the faculty members. Mm -hmm. Tony, thanks for for joining us. Now, you you have written seven novels. You're on the faculty here at IU? Well, actually, yes, I am. I'm in the Department of English. Mm -hmm. And... um, I should add that the conference is uh, a very important part of the Department of English. Mm-hmm. Um, what we see it as is a way of bringing in people who might not otherwise be able to take advantage of our faculty, of our resources here. Um, I know that many of the visitors who come to the conference also then take tours of the Lilly Library. Mm-hmm. They go to the Kinsey Institute. Um, some even then later apply to our graduate programs in both creative writing and literature. Mm-hmm. How many people attend? This year we have 50. 50? Mm-hmm. And we've seen a little bit of a drop in the last few years. Well, it's, yeah. I think, hasn't everything? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> hasn't everything it cost yeah. any money at all? Isn't that the yeah. truth? So um, is it too late for anybody who's listening today to participate? No, it's not too late. There okay, what do they, let's, let's go ahead and tell them how to do that so they can, and we'll repeat it later on in the show, but in case they're already like, oh, I would love to know more about this. Sure, go to the website, iuwc.indiana.edu. IUWC. Oh, Writers Conference. IU Writers Conference. Okay. IU, yeah. IU Writers Conference. IUWC.indiana.edu. Their registration information. And we have spots in all, all both workshops, both genres, fiction mm-hmm. and poetry. Mm-hmm. Do you have to be um, an established writer or where do you have to be in your um, growth process? Anywhere. Anywhere. Really, so. anywhere. The, the, the classes are sort of geared to meet people where they are. And mm-hmm. We've had in classes uh, high school students and uh, retired IU faculty wow. you know, in the same classes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a great mix of people. Mm-hmm. Patrick, where are, where are you uh, calling from? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking to you from a hotel room in Chicago. In okay. <laughs> All right. So you'll be participating uh, on the poetry side, correct? That's right. Um, could you give us a little background of, uh, you know, what, kinds of what kind of poetry that, you're, that you write and uh, what, what your message will be? 
Um, sure. I guess I come to I come to the world of uh, of letters uh, somewhat with the passion of the convert. I uh, I came to books really late in my life, uh, relatively speaking, uh, maybe in my late twenties, uh, and I it came through uh, music and I guess oral traditions mm. and hip hop and jazz and. Um, I thought I was going to be a composer before um, I knew I was going to be a writer. Mm-hmm. So I try to um, I try to use a lot of sort of um, a musical sensibility in in my writing, um, and I think that that's really important for all writers to sort of think think rhythmically and to sort of be able to mm-hmm. feel their way through language musically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it seems like you're writing in two different languages musically and then um, the written word. Yeah, yeah it's a, it, do, it does feel sort of like um, taking the, my my avocation as a as a musician and a composer and, and applying it to this other this other lexicon in poetry. But there are a lot of analogs between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people who are participating um, in your workshop when they come to to talk about poetry, um, you know, what kinds of you know what kinds of things are you going to talk with them about? How are you going to sort of gauge the audience and and engage the audience. I mean, that's the funny thing about workshops is that you you can you can plan a ton of stuff, um, and you don't really know until you step into the room what the energy is going to be like. Um, I try to sit back a little bit and um, and let people generate the energy in the room and um, sort of improvise. I guess I guess that's my jazz sensibility too, is trying to get everybody involved. Um, as, as the workshop goes on, so mm-hmm. we'll see. It's going to be it's going to be kind of a, an improvisational week. Mm-hmm. Have you done this before? Um, I've done conferences before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been teaching I've been teaching workshops um, in college in the graduate level for about eleven to twelve years. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our phone number is eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. And WFIU.org slash Noon Edition if you would prefer to write us today, which would be a good thing to do. Hey, Patrick, I have another question. Um, in your workshop, will you um, will, will people be expected to bring some of their work in so they can discuss that? Or uh, will there be an opportunity for critique? Or, or how does that work? Yeah, I think there's going to be a combination of, of all of that. Um, there, they, um, participants did submit work uh, beforehand, so we'll have a chance to look at some of that. Um, we'll also generate new work. I think, it's, I think people really look forward to um, new ways and new sources for their own writing, mm-hmm. so uh, we'll be doing a lot of that and, and doing, doing some reading, too, uh, bringing, in, bringing in poems um, to read to one another out loud. I also think that it's really important for people to hear poems in the air. So I feel like we'll have time, even in this short week, to be able to do a, a number of different integrated activities. Sounds really neat. All right. Now, Tony Artizoni is here. He's a, he's a writer, and he'll be doing the, the fiction workshop. And I'm always intrigued. I always like to ask writers, people mm-hmm. who write novels and works of fiction, you know, how did you get started doing that? What, what was sort of the, the first story in your head that you said, okay, I think I can get a book out of it? I think it began through reading. I very much enjoyed reading when I was I've, I've enjoyed reading all my life and particularly when I was younger and at one point um, I think every writer says this or has felt this um, at one point I looked at a work and thought with envy gosh it would have been marvelous to have read that, uh, to have written that um, and then I began in high school um, uh, I went to a Christian Brothers High School, and we were encouraged to try our hand. Um, I have to say that my entry into into fiction really was through the back door. I tried for many, many years to be a poet um, and took a number of poetry workshops and was told that I was very narrative um, <laughs> at a time when, when I was supposed to be confessional. Um, I think I left confession with the church, and when I came to workshop – um, I brought in my narrative, mm-hmm. but it, it really it, it comes out with a sense of um, a sense of wanting to tell stories, of liking to play with words. Um, I think that writers need to be able to um, enjoy their own company. They need to be able to go off by themselves and sit for a while um, in in solitude, or or maybe with some music playing. Uh, and they need, particularly fiction writers, novelists. Uh, need to be able to to sustain work over a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Tony, I know that 
actors when they talk about their craft that they they many of them will say I don't have a choice. I have to do this yeah. with my life. Is that how you came to writing? I'm much happier when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. I, I have to tell you that I can um, – though I never tell my students what I'm working and when I'm not, I know that I'm a much better teacher when I'm actively working with a book, mm-hmm. working on a book in the morning. And then I teach them later in the morning or that afternoon than when I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that my life is better. I'm happier. I'm – I'm happier with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that probably produces endorphins for you. So much easier than running. Well, <laughs> <laughs> in many ways, I, I, I think it was Anthony Burgess who said that uh, um, that the writer was prone to back disease, uh, uh, back ailments, and smoking and um, um, caffeine addiction. Um, bad posture. Yeah. I think uh, Vonnegut once said that if uh, if he had a typewriter that could be put on a wall and he would get up every morning and put on um, boxing gloves and he could punch <laughs> out the letters, he'd produce much less, but he'd be in much better physical shape. <laughs> Sounds like something he would say. All right. All right we, I, I want to follow up with a few questions. But first, we're going to the phones and Patricia. Patricia? Patricia. Hi. Go ahead. I'm just calling in to um, find out what days will the poets be sharing their um, work with um, the community? Well, we have a nightly reading series starting Sunday night. The the readings this year will take place at the Bloomington Playwrights Project. They're at 8 o'clock. They're free, open to the public. And Monday night um, we'll be showing a film at the IU Cinema for the first time. Mm-hmm. But Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday will be the, the readings at the Bloomington Playwrights Project. Beginning what time? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, yeah. okay. Okay, if a person wanted to um, visit um, your website to get information, where could they go to get that? The website, it, it's iuwc.indiana.edu. Okay, and what is this about a film? Oh, we we, there, we have a screenwriting class this year for the first time. Oh, neat! Yeah, and uh, the film we're we're screening is Silent Light. Uh, it's a Mexican film, and the woman who's teaching the class is going to to base the class on this this uh, film. So we'll, she'll introduce it on Monday. Uh, we'll screen it Monday night, and then she'll spend the next days of the class using it as a kind of model for screenwriting. And I should say the uh, the filmmaker is I don't know how to pronounce her last name Jill Godmilo Godmilo, and uh, she calls this film a modern masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, so. that's it. it is. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. All right. Thanks. Will the community be able to see this, or is the film only available for participants in her workshop? You know, you might want to go to the IU Cinema website. I believe it is free, but ticketed. Which means you, you 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 have to go to the box office to get a ticket, but I don't. I think it is free. Thank you. Have to check, yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Patricia. Have a great day. Uh huh. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and wfiu dot org slash noon edition. Um, I wanted to go back to to Tony because I'm I'm fascinated about you know every journalist wants to write a book of course. Have you ever written any fiction? No. Uh, well, I, you know, I've been accused of writing fiction <laughs> many times, I have to say. But, um, bump. Good. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the process uh, certainly intrigues me. I mean, you said, you know, when you're working, actively working on a book in the mornings and then you go teach in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, when you have a, a book in mind, What's your process? Do you do you have a long outline? Do you start with sort of some ideas and then see where it takes you? How do you work? I think every writer works differently. But I know that every writer pays attention to drafts. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the keys um, in, in learning how to write and also in teaching creative writing. Um, when I meet with my workshop uh, – on Sunday afternoon and we exchange manuscripts and all of the people in my fiction workshop have sent in stories or novel excerpts. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll give copies to all the participants and read them. But often what we'll be talking about is what draft level the work is at. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different 
there are different goals at different drafts. Um, if you try to sit down and write perfectly from the first sentence to the last sentence, you'll write very slowly and you'll go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie, Anne Lamott has a, a marvelous book called Bird by Bird. And she has a chapter um, in which she talks about messy first drafts. Um, and she basically says that every writer, every writer writes poorly on the first draft. But the idea is to get the draft down. Um, Flaubert said, put the black on the white. He meant put the ink on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people, write, 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 and don't be censoring, don't be judging. Um, I talk about how janitors will uh, uh, clean a floor, and they don't start in one corner and, and wash six squares, dry them, and then polish them, and then buff them, and then move to the next six squares. No, they clean the room, then they wash the floor, then they go on with polishing. So one of the ideas I try to keep in mind is to draft. Mm-hmm. And that just means simply work in advance mm-hmm. and then eventually find one, one's way. Um, many writers will say that they um, discovered an a-, a key aspect of their book only later, only much later. Other writers very successfully um, outline from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, when, when what you, about – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, what about Please. that time and distance does, um, as you're writing between drafts? Uh, is that an important thing to give it a little time to to um, settle in your mind and then come back to it with fresh eyes? Yeah, I think sometimes – I think sometimes some time off will help and some writers might go from one draft uh, to the next. Mm-hmm. There's a really fine uh, group of uh, interviews with writers that are made available through the Paris Review – um, and many of them are online. Several of these are in books called Writers at Work, the Paris Review interviews. And they always begin with a, a, a reproduction of a page, uh, of a very messy page, that the writer submits to show the writer's process. And they almost always ask the writer about the process. Um, and many writers many writers work work in different ways. I find that what I have to do is really write a, a, a somewhat of a weak draft, and then I spend time um, trying to make it better. And I move things around. I, I, I've confessed this to my students. I often write the beginning of my stories. Uh, the beginning scene often come, I write last. Mm. I don't write until a much later point. So I try to jump in the middle and get things mm-hmm. and get things going. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, Bob Bledsoe is here also, and he is uh, the director of the Writers Conference. Uh, but he's also a writer, yeah. a fiction writer. Yeah. So I want you to comment on the same the same questions about your process. Well, and I, I should relate it to a conference actually, because it's really how I started. I was living in San Francisco and wanting to write and not knowing what to do. And I I joined a local um, workshop. I saw a flyer on the the laundromat, you know, billboard. And Mm -hmm. I picked it up and it was a a guy who actually went to the Iowa Writers Workshop. And he was doing these workshops in his um, living room. Mm -hmm. And I started out very slowly. And then I saw an advertisement for the Napa Valley Writers Conference. And I decided to go there, and uh, it, and it really did change everything. I met uh, I met a, a writer, Amy Bloom, who became a very very good friend, and really helped helped me with my writing, helped me with my application to IU. I, I, so I went through the MFA program here, and it's been. Um, I, I, I really think a lot of it had to do with the conference and with this sort of magic of all these people, you know, um, coming together. And mm-hmm. really focusing on on something that we all know gets kind of pushed off to the mm-hmm. side in our busy lives. So when you were listening to Tony talk about his process and how various writers do things different ways, I mean, how did that relate to your process? When do you, you isolate these, or what do you do? Well, to, well, Tony, I have to say, in uh, full disclosure, was my teacher. So uh-huh. I, you know, I learned everything from I learned everything from him. Mm-hmm. But I, I think he's right. I mean, and and as. And in right to say that everyone works differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I know he listens to music. I, I can't imagine. I have earphones on, <laughs> earplugs, and then headphones over them. I have. It has to be. I have to be in a room like the one we're in now, almost a sensory deprivation mm-hmm. chamber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, to – yeah. Okay. Well, Patrick, you've been listening to this, and I want to ask a, the same question or a similar question about your process in writing poetry. Uh, it's so it, it's it's so um, it's changed so much over the over the course of my of my writing life, mostly because my um, my my teaching life has started to occupy much more of my day, and I have to uh, I have to carve out a whole lot more time to to write. Um, but um, I, I write snippets. I live in New York City, so I write snippets while I'm in uh, while I'm on the subway. I, uh, you know, if I can get up early and write down some some things here and there, I I do that. Um, mostly, I think the most inspirational things for me are are, are traveling um, and um, reading other writers, um, both people that I return to all the time and and new writers. I'm actually here in Chicago to do some research at the Newberry Library, which has a this amazing holding of um, of documents from the Philippine American War, and so um, it, it's it's inspiring to sort of look at something that's 120 years old, um, and that's and, and that's connected directly to my family's history. Um, a lot of that is, I think, um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with it, but a lot of that is going to. I think turn into in, into poems. The key is sort of trying to find a voice and trying to find, like I said before, kind of a music or a rhythm. Um, I think at the bottom of all of this, um, I think it was I think it was Tony or Bob had talked about the magic. Both of them are talking about sort of about this ineffable part of writing. And um, for me, it's I guess this is sort of typical for a poet, but it's about it's about love. Um, my my teacher Thomas Lux is a great poet. He has, he has in a poem, he says, um, you make the thing because you love the thing, and you love the thing because someone else loved it enough to make you love it. And um, I think by reading other writers and being in a sort of conference atmosphere or being in a workshop or, or, or finding somebody who loves writing and language, um, that's, the, that's the key to all of this, is uh, finding something that, that hooks into your passions, hooks into, into what you love. Mm-hmm. Now I, I have to ask you, uh, you know, as a I'm a newspaper writer, so I'm like at the lowest level of writing. I think <laughs> uh, we write for an eighth grade education level. Um, but uh, you know, when when we're kids in school, or at least when I was a long time ago, you know, poems were things that rhymed, you know, and poems were uh, sort of a, a simple thing in my small, you know, high school and small middle school. How you know, how do you describe or how do you define poetry? Oh gosh! <laughs> no, I mean, could, could I ask, do you remember any of the any of the poetry that you learned when you were in in, in grade school? Oh or gee, other um, lines. I'm sure I could. Of... I'm sure I could come up with something. Um, that I... Well, we all learned how to do haiku and and yeah. you know all of the different forms. Yeah, I I feel like. Yeah. There's something that there's something that happens I think around the middle school high school years that educates people out of their natural relationship to poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because it, if you yeah you had to follow the the format the whatever it was mm-hmm. right. three seven three or what I forget what it was but yeah obviously yeah, it made a big also, impact on me. Yeah, there's also sort of this this feeling like uh, poetry is it's it's out there it's distant it's inaccessible it needs to be analyzed and cut apart and it's sort of it, your only way into it is, th- is through French and German philosophy, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. But there, I, I, I think that, for me anyway, poetry is something that is is about direct speech, mm-hmm. and that direct speech and everyday speech can lead you to sort of amazing um, discoveries about your relationship to the world. Um, William Carlos Williams, one of the modernists from New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey, his project really was to find an American language that sounded like the way that we talk. I feel like I'm a direct descendant of that tradition, of trying to find a way that, um, to write poems that is very much like direct speech. That's not to say that a poem can't have infinite um, associations and levels of meaning, but there's a, there's a there's a kind of a poem that can be written that is immediately um, graspable, um, um, both in language and in music and a, on a sort of emotional level. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah. could, you, could you read something for us in the second half of the program? Sure, absolutely. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to have to take a break now. So uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about the 71st Annual Indiana Writers Conference, which starts Sunday. We'll be right back.
This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're talking about the Indiana Writers Conference. We have three guests with us um, in the studio. We have Bob Bledsoe, who's the director of the conference and a fiction writer in his own right. Tony Artizoni, who is on the faculty at IU and, a, and is a novelist and one of the faculty members at the conference. And Patrick Rosal, who's a poet, is joining us by phone from Chicago. He's also on the faculty for the conference. So if you want to join us with questions or comments, 855-0811 from Bloomington or 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is our website if you want to write us a, a note or a question. Which always seems appropriate. But. Yeah. Um, well, Patrick, I, I asked you before the uh, the break if you could read something in the second half. So just hold that thought. I'm sure you're selecting something right now. I had a question I wanted to ask uh, our fiction writers. And as I, I told them during the break, I was going to ask this. You know, I'm a... I write for a newspaper, and we have very quick deadlines, so I always know, you know, I have, I have something that makes me be finished. And I just wonder about, you know, when you're writing a novel or when you are writing a piece of fiction and you're doing all the drafts and all the, all the work to try to make it as, as perfect as you can, how, how can you put that pen down or stop typing? How, how do you know when you're finished? Tony? Well, I think I, think the, I, think I work – until I, I, I can only do more damage to the work. <laughs> but then I share it with readers and then I try to listen to what they have to say. Um, if you look in the back of books, you'll see that acknowledgments page mm-hmm. and sometimes they go on for pages. What the writer is saying is I'm really not in isolation. I work by myself but I have a lot of other people I give work to. Um, Ultimately, I'll think a book is absolutely word perfect. I mean it's done. The novel is done and then the editor will come in and the editor will say, I've got some questions. So let's have a conversation. And then that might spur some changes. And with every novel I've, 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 I've published, that's been the case where I've gone back and done a little bit of work on something where I changed some things that, and, I, and I heightened some elements. I think ultimately um, – then we just we do our very best and we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, what do you think? I always thought the publication was when it was finished, but <laughs> that's not true either. Mm-hmm. You, you'll often see in a book of stories that uh, a note in the front that says this as, as a particular story was published in an earlier form in you know a literary magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there are writers who famously um, revise their stories after they've been published. In book form. Like I, think, I think that's a recipe for insanity. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard enough just to get Make it done. Make it stop. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I think that it's uh, – hearing you say this, it's so important that you maintain um, humility uh, because I can think, uh, you know, something that is a process or a product of the creative process, you have emotional – attachment to and ownership of. And so then to hand that um, hard-won, hard-fought-for product over to someone else and say, do with this as you will, um, and and then tell me about it so I can change it, I think that takes a lot of courage and humility. I I think you're right, but I think that the writer can't have too much ownership. one of the good things about a, a conference is that you listen to what other people have to say so that the people who are in my workshop, for example, will listen not only to what I have to say about their writing but also a group of, of strangers mm-hmm. who may become friends. Mm-hmm. 
and they may find the kind of uh, uh, situation that Bob found when he went to the Napa Valley Conference and, and found a very close friend. I think that writers need to have fellow writers mm-hmm. that they can depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the history of poets, they often travel like fish in schools. So we talk about a school of poets or a group of poets. Um, I think most fiction writers rely on a couple of people. Um, Bob was among the people who read an early draft of of the novel that I last published, a novel called The Whale Chaser. And I acknowledged Bob in the uh, acknowledgments. And his comments helped me. Um, And I think that that's very, very important that writers have other people who can honestly support their work and honestly reflect what they think. And then the writer can make his or her own decisions. Um, but I, 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 I do want to say that if a, writer's, if a writer thinks the, it's word perfect, then fine. Don't share it with other people. But if a writer wants to work with an audience, then work with an audience and work with one that's uh, supportive and, and informed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of my favorite things is always everybody needs an editor, mm-hmm. you, know, that's mm-hmm. my, you know, since I am one. <laughs> and editors are extremely invel- uh, invaluable, and editing is really a creative act as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I laugh at you know young young writers who come to work at a newspaper who will just say, "Well, you know, yeah, I, I love writing because you know writing it just flows with me." And I think, well, if it just flows with you, then you're probably not working hard. Enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? All right, eight five five zero eight one one is our uh, local. Phone number, 877-285-9348 is the call and the number from outside of the Bloomington, Monroe County area. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is the web address if you want to send us a note. Uh, Patrick, uh, how about that poem? I want to I, I I listen to some of your work. Sure. Um, this, is a, this is a poem called uh, – it's from my – I have a new book coming out in October. This is a poem called Bienvenida Santa Tomas, and it's – this is just to set the scene. Uh, it's 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 me being welcomed back to the Philippines after not having been there for 25 years. Uh, I visited once when I was uh, a young teenager, and then I went again just a few years ago, and I was welcomed back by my, my by my mother's barrio um, with this sort of with this kind of celebration. You'll hear it uh, in the poem. Mm-hmm. It's called Bienvenido Santo Santo Tomas, and it's for my uncle Charlie. In the middle of my uncle's yard. There's a goat bound at the hooves, wagging its tongue. I've traveled 10,000 miles to be welcomed home by a town that knows me only by my middle name and photos sent by post more than 25 years ago. And there is an old man from the foothills of the barrio's far edge who has heard my Uncle Charlie drag this small beast to the block. He heard the news by music, the bottles, the banging, the laughter inside the slaughter. The old man limps the half mile by foot up the long dirt road, unshod, a ratty tank top, a brand new Vegas cap, a cut black strip of inner tube draped around his neck. And in front of him, He is rolling the whole way, a common jug on its side, emptied of all its vinegar, dusty, immense, to his hip in height and three times the old man's girth. My uncle is strumming the guts out of his ukulele when the old man arrives and sets that huge jug upright, pulls the bike tube off his nape, and stretches it across the jar's massive ceramic yawn, holding the rubber strip in place with one big muddy toe. And on the downbeat of the first measure of the second chorus, he joins my uncle in the kind of mooing these beloved geezers swear has several times tricked a field of blossoms into bloom. The old man plucking from the makeshift bass, not so much a moan, but a pulse that ranges a full octave into each man's chest. The sinews of the old-timer's arm straining, the long muscle of his back taut, his quadricep, his calves, his black foot pumping blood into his whole awful body, his maw flashing every one of his seven good teeth to heaven. And if a man become the heart of a giant, the song of a giant, each one of us laughing like a giant. If each one of us 
fulfill the exact measure of a man, and if the goat at the same time is singing as it's dying, among men who are singing and dying, the youngest cousin among us, butcher, slaughterer, elbow deep in the animal's belly, does not sing. The carcass, blood let now, also silent, as if its stillness were a source of music too. The way in death one becomes all the sounds one cannot make, the sum total of everything the living cannot say. Sometimes we have to sing just to figure out what we cannot say. Wow, that's very powerful. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for reading that. But, oh, so, so now I have to follow up with a couple of questions. I mean, the images are really uh, very detailed mm-hmm. and yeah. very, uh, you know, did, did you get those images on your visit to the Philippines? Did you, did, is it something, I mean, where do they come from? Yeah, that was a, I mean, it was that, that was a, that was a true story about how mm-hmm. I was sort of, how I was sort of welcomed back to the Philippines. And the whole book is sort of about um, the, the, the simultaneity of music and violence. Um, and uh, th- there was something about that image of, of these men gathered, and this is sort of an act of celebration and love for me, and they were gathering both in this, um, in this sort of tradition of slaughter, but also in the traditions of music. And while I was halfway around the world experiencing this, there was something very American about the confluence of both, both violence and music um, happening at the same time. So, um, yeah, it, much, of, much of my writing c- comes out of memory, um, and that poem certainly did. Mm-hmm. Sure, it certainly took a twist I didn't think it was going to take. Mm-hmm. Surprise, I guess, is... Part of the one of the elements of that. Yeah. All right. Bob's smiling. What, what are your thoughts, Bob? I'm smiling because this is coming to a workshop, coming to a conference. You know, I've had faculty come to conference, to the conference, and and leave saying I was so inspired. You know, I went home and finished you know my book, and just listening to to Patrick, I I, I feel like it's um, it's what makes the conference come alive mm-hmm. as, as he said earlier you know everyone everyone coming together and listening and sharing ideas and mm-hmm. and he's got such great energy and that's the, the, what's one of the really the um, prerequisites for the people I asked to teach you know there are lots of people who are great writers you know who aren't actually that you know, not so interested in teaching yeah. so I really try to find out by you know reputation and mm-hmm. you know and well, I, th- I think this this is a, a good point to talk about some of the people who've, who've participated in this conference. I know I went to the website today and looked at the list of writers, and it's pretty astounding. The, num- yeah, the people who uh, – the, just the names I recognize, and I can't say that I'm an expert and you know, mm-hmm. all writers. Yeah, 21 but. Pulitzer Prize winners, 14 oh. of the 36 Poets Laureate, 22 National Book Award winners. Mm-hmm. You know what? Going back to Randall Jarrell, uh, Kurt Vonnegut was t- taught here. Uh, Raymond Carver, Richard Yates. I mean, these are just my, you know, my favorite. Stanley Elkin, Nelson Algren, J.F. Powers. What brings them to this writers' conference in the middle of the Midwest? Um, is it the longevity of the conference? Is it the reputation? How do you get them here? I think it's all those things. It's, I think it's all those things, and and the reputation that the te- that teachers who come here. You know, it's a, it's a pretty small world. Uh, well, I think, world. and it's interesting, I, you know, the, I, the people that I listed, Scott Sanders, of course, who's a mm-hmm. local writer. Gwendolyn and, uh, Brooks. Gwendolyn Brooks I listed. <laughs> uh, William K. Zinzer, I, I don't know how many people are familiar with him, but he wrote a book called On Writing Well that mm-hmm. I, is kind of a Bible of people who want to write uh, reasonably well. Gay Talese, who was mm-hmm. just here as a speaker, mm-hmm. was one yeah. of the, the speakers. And uh, John R. Tunis. In the 40s. Mm. And the reason I – what I remember about him, he may have been a writer of great renown and all sorts of other things. But when I was a kid growing up, he wrote books about sports. Mm. And it was a, a – he was just you know, a writer who wrote stories about kids in high school playing sports. And ah, that's what I remember about him. But you know, one of those early, early authors that I remember. All right. Phone numbers again, 855-0811, 877-285-9348, and our web address, wfiu.org slash noon edition. What are, what are the costs associated with attending the conference? It sounds like quite a production that, you know, to put on a week-long conference with so many 
moving pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, to take classes only, there are two options. One is to take classes only. The classes meet from 9 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And if you just want to take those classes, it's $275. For a whole week's instruction. For a whole week's instruction. Uh, the other option is to take a workshop as well. And that is you submit work uh, distributed amongst the, the, the workshop participants, uh, set a time. Everyone has a discussion about their work. And that's 525 mm-hmm. So you get the classes and the, and the workshop. Great. Okay. We've had a, a message come in via email. Uh, no, I, I, it's not true, via live chat. Uh, the comment is, hi there, I have a question. I know readings are a big part of the conference. How important is it to, a pa- to Patrick as a poet versus Tony and Bob as fiction writers to read their work aloud slash listen to other writers' work read aloud? Tony, you want to jump in on that? That's a hard question. Um, <laughs> do you like to have your work read aloud, or do you prefer to have people take it and read it you know, to themselves? Well, of course, I, I, write, I write my work so that it can be read. But I hope that my work is strong enough and even better when it's read aloud. Um, again, I go back to how I tried to be a poet for all those years mm-hmm. and then was – invited to the the land of fiction um no i very much like i very much like to read um the difficulty that fiction writers have is that if they particularly novelists is that uh they have to wisely choose selections or else they have to give lots of um background Mm -hmm. um i envy poets because poets can read a little of this they can jump there they can read this and um um, but I think that it's all writing and, and it all, all of it really benefits from being read aloud and being heard. Mm-hmm. Bob, what do you think? Well, I think that you, you, we're talking to two very dynamic readers of their own work, Patrick and, and Tony, and there's a big, there, there's a big difference. You know, there's uh, reading and then there's reading. Yeah, there's reading and then there's a performance. There are people yeah. who understand there's a performance mm-hmm. element that brings the work alive to other, for other people. <laughs> I remember in grade school, my own personal hell in grade school was when p- other st- people were asked to read aloud. And I just wanted to stick a pencil in my ear because it was so painful. Even the people who could, who were good readers weren't reading it the way I was hearing it in my head when I would read it. What an exercise in frustration. But, but um, you know, of course, the experience uh, that we just had um, with Patrick was the antithesis of that. But. Right. Uh, Oh, well, I don't know why I had felt compelled to throw that in, but there you have it. Yeah. Well, you know, the radio reader was on just before our, our program. Dick Estelle. And, and yeah. And, Gotta love him. You know, it's, it's interesting to listen to him read. He has a particular style, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to ask about teaching writing because that's a, that is a gift. I think you, you mentioned, Bob, that some people can – are great writers, but they can't. Nece- they they're not necessarily good at speaking about writing and, yeah. and encouraging other people to write. Um, and and Tony, I wanted to to start with you, and then Patrick, you can jump in too about your techniques for for teaching writing. And, and I'm going to ask a really simple question too. I mean, what what are, what's one of the biggest mistakes you see from young writers that come into your classrooms? Or old writers just getting started. Or old writers just getting started. Is there something that people do that you really have to break them of early? Well, with with fiction, what I try to encourage is that they actually tell a story so that there's a sequence of events and that there's some some consequence to those events so that something actually changes. Um, As far as mistakes, everybody begins at some point and I try to – take them where they are and then try to move them to their next level. Uh, John Gardner um, said only a talent that doesn't exist can't be improved. So what I say, if a writer really likes what he or she has written, I'll say fine. Take that draft and put it on the best paper and put it in a box and put a ribbon around the box. But now try a different version. Now try a revision. Now try something else. Now try what you didn't do here. Now make him run the red light as opposed to stop at the red light and then see what happens. And with some people that really works and with some people it doesn't. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when people come to a workshop or a class, what they are saying is they do want some kind of advice and help. They mm-hmm. also want support mm-hmm. and they want to know what they're doing well. Mm-hmm. So I try to I try to give them a, a sense of what they're doing well, but also I try to put it within the context of of the demands of the of the overall the short story of the form. Mm-hmm. I tend to be – I think I'm revealing myself mm-hmm. as a pretty traditional writer, aren't I? Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not talking about some kind of um, postmodernist technique. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know anything about a postmodernist technique. So. <laughs> All right. Do you I, – I, can I ask a follow-up sure? to this? When you're, do you, for example, let's say you're um, at a restaurant and you see something transpire um, – at a table next to you that is um, maybe highly emotionally charged or, or interesting in, in some way, is that something then that you'll file away either actually in, in written form or just mentally and perhaps break that out um, on an as-needed basis in, sure. a, in a book that you're writing? Yeah, absolutely. And what I would do is I would scribble it on a napkin and put the napkin in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And then throw the napkin on my desk, and the next time, that next morning, I'll pick it up and take a look at it, or I'll put it in a file. Okay. Uh, when I travel, I always keep a journal, and I often um, just simply describe um, things that I've seen, mm-hmm. and um, try not to process, but put down raw material or raw data. Mm-hmm. But I think that writers are always um, paying attention, um, and and that that's one way to generate work. And it's curious, like you know that, for example, if someone tells you that you're going to get it, you're, oh, you've just won a trip to Budapest, suddenly you're going to find in, in the next two days, five people will mention Budapest. Um, when you work, your, tu- your senses are, are more highly um, activated and then you pay attention to what's relevant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that all helps. And if... I pray that people will do things in a restaurant or say something that will help me with my story. Yeah. What about – you touched just briefly on journaling. I'd like to hear from all three of our guests about uh, if they use journaling in their writing process. We hear so much about it. Um, so how, how about you, Bob? Do you use it as as part of your writing process? It did did unconsciously start that way. I started a kind of daily journal and then began turning it into – sort of stories uh, but they had the bad habit of sort of um, you know this term excessive contemplation you know and nothing mm-hmm. was really mm-hmm. happening so you had to get some of it out and on paper so you could move forward yeah and and you know as as Tony said earlier there was a sequence of events it was a kind of stream of consciousness you know on and on and droning on and on and you know then you know things have to start happening Mm-hmm. You know, like in Patrick's poem. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's ask Patrick about mm-hmm. journaling. Patrick, do you use that in in your writing process? I do, I do. I, I, and uh, if I don't have my journal, I, I I have many receipts and napkins that have bits of language <laughs> on it that are strewn all over the bedroom, in the living room, and, and in my pockets, and in in my luggage. So um, I'm always I'm always writing things down. Um, I've also started to because I have my laptop. If I don't have a pen. With me, I, I have GarageBand on my Mac, and sometimes I recite things right into GarageBand, and and um, I've started to use di- digital technology to record um, some ideas for essays and poems and so forth. Yeah, I want to ask ask you also about the teaching process. You know, um, Tony was uh, very eloquent in talking about some of the ways he some of his techniques, and I wanted to ask you the the same thing when you teach. You know, are there certain mistakes you see from your students and Secondly, you know, how do you encourage them? You know, it's such a it's such a tricky thing teaching writing because I think, uh, and I've, I have a feeling that that Tony and I have have similar um, approaches to this. But um, what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach people to sound more like themselves, mm. and um, it's so tricky to if you have if you have sort of like these tricks in your bag or sort of these authoritative statements about about poetry or about about writing, it can sometimes exclude um, the wisdom that the student brings to the table. Um, I don't know if I'm really being really being clear about that, but I think that if you're going to talk about sort of mistakes, um, I think it's that in poetry in particular, it's when when a young poet tries to sound like a poet with a capital P, rather than listening to his or her own voice as they, you know, 
at a bar, you know, at a billiards table, walk at, at the bus station, um, and that realizing that there's poetry in everyday speech. Mm-hmm. Um, we speak in figures all the time that are that are really interesting. So um, that might that might be it. Um, is trying to elevate the language before um, before it actually um, gets its rocket boosters warmed up. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, we only have about a minute to go, so I want to go back to to Bob Bledsoe and have him uh, explain a, again a little bit more about the conference and it, all those details that people need to know. Yeah, absolutely. The, what the important thing to know is it's still open. You know, the conference is, it starts Sunday, but it's it's we have um, seats in both fiction and poetry workshops, and classes are open. I, I, we didn't talk about the the faculty this year. Mm-hmm. So oh. Dan Sean, uh, Linda Berry, our own Tony Artizoni, John, uh, Jill Godmilo, uh, Julia Story, or Patrick Rosal, um, and Gary Ferguson, who is the person who will teach on the art of the blog. Yeah, that that's, boy, we could have talked a little bit about that too. Yeah. The art of the blog, that's a, a new kind of writing technique it seems to me. And, yeah, everybody, and he has real ideas about it. Yeah, and everybody thinks they're a blogger these days. So, and not everybody really is, or at least maybe they are a blogger, but not a very effective blogger sometimes. So, that'd Meow. Be, yeah, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be a really interesting one to sit through, I'm sure. All of them would be. It's a, It's been great to have all of you here today. Patrick, thanks for reading that poem. It was really, really a, Thank you, Patrick. a memorable part of our program today. Well, Patrick, Patrick, do you still need to ride from the airport? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well. I'll pick you up if you'll read poetry to me on the way back down to Bloomington. How about that? Deal done. All right. All right. All right. So I want to thank Patrick Rosal, uh, Tony Artizoni. And Bob Bledsoe for being here with us today. For our producer, Dan Goldblatt, and our engineer, John Shelton, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.